The Bible tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and therefore without error. But though all scripture is equally true, all scripture is not equally relevant. Uh, some portions are more so than others. And one of the books of the Bible that seems to many people today to be very relevant to the time in which we live is this book, the book of Judges. After Joshua died and all the elders who outlived him died, we read in Judges chapter 2 that another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. And it said twice in this book of Judges <clears throat> that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that seems to be a fair description of life in our world today. Everyone is doing what seems right in his own eyes. <clears throat> the judges, as you probably know, were uh, the leaders of Israel appointed by God. And among the judges that God raised up to deliver Israel from time to time, uh, no one fits that description better, I don't think, uh, than this one that we're reading about tonight, Samson, who did what was right in his own eyes. And some think he's a very apt representative for that time and for this book, for that reason. Um, the judges were a type of Christ, uh, a picture resembling something of Christ, not everything, of course. Uh, and God sent these judges, he raised them up and sent them to deliver Israel from the hand of their enemies. Well, of course, Jesus came for the same reason, didn't he? The angel said, you shall call his name Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. He came as a deliverer. Jesus was and is a deliverer. So you see the obvious connection there with the role of the judges. So then Samson also was a type of Christ. Not in every way, but in some ways. Uh, it's true that we can't help but see that there were many things which, in which uh, Samson was not like Christ at all. He was really a bit of an enigma, isn't he? Uh, a bit of a paradox. And when I look at this man with you tonight, this unique man, this unique judge, <coughs> who had a unique role in God's plan of redemption, uh, another reason to, to give our attention to Samson is the fact that so much uh, space in Scripture is allotted to him, more to him than any other judge. Uh, and that's interesting, and that should tell us something. God wants us to learn something from this man's life. So tonight we consider what I call the strange case of Samson, and I think it is a strange case, isn't it? Uh, first, we'll say something about his life, the context a little bit, and then some of the questions that inevitably arise from a life like Samson, and then some lessons that we can draw from that. First of all, the story, most of us will be familiar with the history of the book of Judges, how Israel over and over again had trouble with their enemies because they disobeyed God, they turned to idols, and so God would hand them over to the power of some enemy as a judgment. And then the Israelites, after a while, would cry out to God, for help and mercy, and he would have mercy on them and raise up a judge to come and deliver them from the hand of their enemies. And so for a time, they would be obedient to God, at least outwardly, uh, but as soon as the judge passed off the scene, their obedience went pretty quickly with it. And so the cycle would repeat itself over and over and over again. So God raised up a man by the name of Jephthah 
as a judge who delivered them from the Ammonites. Then it was about 25 years where they were, had a few different judges who delivered them. And then the people turned again to idols and God handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. And then God sent Samson. Samson was different in that God came to Samson's parents before he was born to predict his birth. This is unusual, unique among the judges. Uh, and he told them what Samson would be doing. He'd be a Nazarite, a Nazarite from the womb. Uh, Nazarites, according to number six, were men who had taken a vow of service to God for a period of time. And they were to drink no alcohol, they were not to touch a dead body, uh, they were not to cut their hair. Uh, and so God said that Samson would be a Nazarite and that he would begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. It's important to note the, the verbs there, he will begin <laughs> to deliver them out of the hand of the Philistines. Apparently God didn't, at least as far as we can tell from scripture, didn't say anything to them about this extraordinary physical strength he was going to have uh, and how he would be powerfully energized by the Holy Spirit. Samson was one of a very small number of people whose birth was predicted. Isaac was one, uh, John the Baptist was one, Jesus. Uh, and he was also a, a with a small number uh, who was born to parents who had gone a long time without children, uh, like Isaac, like Samuel, like John the Baptist. Sadly, as we can see here from the chapter we read, and as we know, Samson had an eye for women, especially, it seems, women who were Philistines. And this led to confrontations with the Philistines in which Samson wound up killing a good number of them. Well, that brings us up to the chapter we read tonight, 16, where we see he's involved with two more women, this woman, Delilah. Uh, and this, of course, is where Samson meets his tragic end. He falls in love with this woman. The lords of the Philistines offer her money to betray him. Uh, she does so. 5,500 pieces of silver, we're not exactly sure how much that is, but uh, some estimates are in today's money, it'd be well over 100,000 pounds, maybe more, we don't know. Um, but she does this, of course, as we read, uh, <clears throat> simply getting him to reveal the source of his strength, lulls him to sleep, and uh, then Samson's power begins to leave him after the Philistines cut his hair. And they gouge out his eyes, put him in prison, where he's shackled and serves as a form of entertainment for the Philistines. You can, hardly, you can hardly conceive of a more humiliating and discouraging and despairing uh, state for poor Samson to be in. His eyes gouged out and now he's, he's a joke. <clears throat> he's a clown. He's a plaything for the Philistines. And so there he calls out to God to strengthen him one more time. And apparently God answers his prayer. Samson pushes down the pillars. 3,000 are killed, more in his death than in his life. And Samson uh, receives the other request. He dies with the Philistines. Now, Samson does remind us of Christ in, in a few ways. <clears throat> in some ways, obviously not, but... Uh, one very interesting way is that Samson conquered his enemies in his death, as of course Jesus conquered our enemies and his enemies in his death. It was by his death that he conquered Satan, 
It was by his death, by paying the debt that was owed because of sin and by reconciling sinners to God, thereby rescuing them from the devil's power. And this was all done by Jesus' death. So there's a, a very important, interesting likeness there. Also, Samson and Christ were both betrayed for money. Interesting that uh, Samson was betrayed for a lot more money than Jesus was, but they were both betrayed for money and both of their births were predicted. So just a brief summary of the story. And now I want to consider some of the details and some of the questions that arise out of uh, an interesting life like Samson's. And then we'll consider some lessons. I think the first question that comes to mind is certainly one of the first questions that comes to every Christian's mind <clears throat> is that, um, was this man really a true believer? Was he really uh, a converted man? And we have to ask that question because of Samson's life. I mean, look at his life. Uh, there were many things in his life that we wouldn't expect in the life of someone who was truly converted. <clears throat> and if all we had to go on was the Old Testament record, I think we would assume that he wasn't converted. I think that would be the obvious conclusion, wouldn't it? He, he wasn't. Look, what, look the way he lived. Look what he did. But it's not the only thing we have to go on, the Old Testament. We do have the New Testament. And we always need to read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And uh, we have in the New Testament, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, where Samson is specifically included in the honor roll of faith. It's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? Uh, Old Testament saints who trusted God, who were honored by God and used by him. And we find there in, uh, in that chapter, verse 39, and all these having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. All these, that includes Samson, that includes all those beginning from Abel back in verse 4 to all those listed in verse 32. What more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. So Samson is definitely in the list. And the writer says, all these having obtained a good testimony through faith. Now, does it really mean all? <laughs> Commenting on this verse, John Owen, in his exhaustive commentary on Hebrews, says this, that true faith will save great sinners, for that they were all saved who are on this catalog of believers the apostle expressly affirms in, in verse 39. So Owen makes the case that because of that verse, he believes Samson was truly a believer. He goes on to make another interesting comment, which is related to it. He says, uh, it is not the dignity or the character of the person that gives efficacy unto faith, but it is faith that makes the person accepted. Samson Owen concludes, was a believer. And I agree with Owen that he was a believer with extremely serious flaws and who lived unfaithfully much of the time. Uh, but I can't argue with Hebrews 11. Uh, I can't argue with that chapter. It's a little similar to the case of, uh, of Lot, you know, in the Old Testament. If you look at Lot, he's not a very admirable character. 
he goes off for the money, lives in Sodom, and uh, at the end doesn't even want to leave Sodom. They have to grab him, basically, and take him out. He's going to basically stay there. So he doesn't come across as somebody who, and yet if you look into Peter, he's called a righteous man. So we need to understand the Old Testament in light of the New. So you may have a different view on that, but it seems to me on the basis of Hebrews 11, I've got to accept that he was a believer, a very flawed believer. <clears throat> how did he become a, a Nazarite? Well, it wasn't by choice, which is how all the other Nazarites became Nazarites. God chose him to be a Nazarite and assigned him that. Exactly why God made Samson a Nazarite, we don't know. Um, but uh, Samson accepted this. Obviously, he was not very careful and faithful in fulfilling the duties of a Nazarite. Uh, he touched a carcass of a lion, which he shouldn't have done. Um, he uh, was with uh, Philistine women, which he should, certainly shouldn't have done. Uh, had a, a, a wedding uh, where wine was, and that shouldn't have happened either. But um, he was a Nazarite by God's choosing. One very interesting question is why was God so long suffering with Samson? Uh, and why did it finally come to an end? God was exceedingly patient with Samson. Whether you, whether you think he was a believer or not, he was an Israelite and he was supposed to be serving God. Among the first things that we read about Samson in chapter four was that he wanted this Philistine woman in Timnah. He saw her and he wanted her. And even when his parents tried to dissuade him, he wouldn't be talked out. His desire for the woman overruled everything else. We know that, in a sense, this was God's sovereign purpose. God was looking for an occasion to oppose the Philistines. But that doesn't excuse Samson's behavior. It doesn't mean it was right. Samson was still responsible for what he did, even though God, in his sovereign purposes, was using this um, in the same way that he used the men who nailed Jesus to the cross to accomplish the salvation that he purposed for the world. Uh, and so he's using Sam, uh, Samson's sin and unfaithfulness here. But he's responsible for it. Uh, and sadly, Samson continued along this line in different ways, disobeying God. I mentioned going with the harlot, touching the dead body, etc. He was violating his Nazarite uh, vow quite often. Um, so why was God so long-suffering with Samson? The answer is very simple. God is long-suffering. God is long-suffering. Why is he so long-suffering with you? Why is he so forbearing with you? Samson's sins were greater. Okay. God's long-suffering is long-suffering enough for great sins and small sins. God chose to be long-suffering with Samson. Um, but that patience can come to an end, and it did with Samson. Uh, and that's why he had to suffer that severe chastisement that he did. God is long-suffering with us, but there comes a point when he takes action and when he intervenes. When Samson told Delilah about his strength, the fact that he was a Nazarite, the fact that his hair shouldn't be cut, he was acting foolishly and recklessly. And it seems to me he crossed over a line here. Besides that, he must have had some inkling 
that Delilah was up to something. He couldn't have been so foolish. Now, time after time, tell me what the great strength, tell me what the great strength, and he tells, him, tells her something else, and, and she, the Philistines are, are frustrated. But he must have realized what she was doing. He must have. But he just kept on. So he was reckless. He was reckless. Um, so if we are doing wrong, and we know we are doing wrong, and we cross a line, we can be sure that God will intervene, however patient he is with us, however long-suffering he is. There's a point at which God says judgment must come. And only God knows that point for every individual, for every situation. For some people, it seems to our view, God is extremely long-suffering with this person. This person gets chastised immediately. Have you ever thought about Moses? That one time, that one time, after f- all those 40 years of being put to the test day after day after day after day, one time he lost it and said what he shouldn't have said and he couldn't go into the promised land. Why was God so strict with Moses and so long-suffering with Samson? Well, you'll have to ask God. <laughs> But God is sovereign, and he deals with each person differently. Don't, uh, don't think that you're one of the ones he's going to be especially long-suffering to. You might not be. Another question, if Samson was vexed to death, why didn't he just break off the relationship with Delilah? That's what he said there, he was vexed. The word means, uh, it's an interesting word, it means short or inadequate. In other words, he, he became, he couldn't stand it any longer. He was, he was out of patience. He was out of, uh, of will to, to stand. He couldn't stand this constant pe- pestering. Now, of course, he shouldn't have been going with the Philistine woman in the first place. But why not just break it off at that point? It seems to me it's a classic example of the power of sin. Once we begin to entertain it, once we begin to walk down that road, there is a point that you will come where you will not be able to walk back until God brings you out of it. When we persist in entertaining sin, we come to the point where we're no longer entertaining it. It is mastering us. And that's where I think Samson was. And he lost the ability to stop. You know, sin is the greatest addiction in the world. Uh, We live in a time when people are very interested in addictions. Uh, We're addicted to all kinds of things, apparently, to television, to food, to sex, and everything else. And uh, it's sin. (laughs) It's sin, which is the addiction. Uh, Sin is the greatest, and we're all addicts by nature. We're all addicts by nature. And it's only the new birth and the grace of God that keeps believers from sinning. That's what I think John meant in 1 John 3, 9 when he said those who are born of God do not sin. Uh, he was not saying Christians are sinless. He was not saying that Christians never sin, obviously. He wasn't saying that. He was saying that sin can no longer master you the way it did. We're not under law but under grace. Uh, that sin can no longer master us in the way that it did. But in Samson's reckless refusal to turn away from sin, God had to bring him to judgment. As I said, he must have known what Delilah was doing. 
warning bells must have been going off in his head. Why is she doing this? What is she up to? He couldn't have been so stupid. Or maybe he just lost the ability to hear the warning bells. You know, that can happen too. Sin can make us deaf and blind to the voice of God. So he lost his strength and he didn't even know it. Again, we see the power of sin, the delusive power of sin. You become unaware of spiritual realities. If you begin doing things you're not supposed to be doing, soon you'll forget what kind of person you were and not realize what kind of person you've become. Why did Stamson's strength return to him? I find this a fascinating question. We're told that his hair started to grow, but I don't believe that his, his strength came from his hair. It was just the, the, the symbol of what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to obey and not cut his hair. Uh, the strength, of course, was from God. And I believe the strength began to come back to Samson because I believe there in the prison, Samson began to repent. And that's why the strength, that's why God heard his prayer. I don't think God would have heard his prayer otherwise. And Samson began to repent in the prison. So why did God answer his prayer? Well, we aren't told in scripture, but I think we can interpret from other principles. First of all, seeking personal revenge is never right. Old Testament, New Testament, it's never right. Seeking personal revenge. Uh, and Samson's words here would lead us to believe that that's what he was asking for. But I think in this case, the words can be misleading. We have to be careful in interpreting scripture. Sometimes similar words don't convey the same meaning. Think of a classic example of uh, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias. Remember, he was asking the angel Gabriel who appeared to him to tell him that he was gonna have a son. He asked him how he could know these things. Uh, shortly, the angel appeared to Mary, told her she was going to have a son, though she hadn't had relations with a man, and she said, how is this gonna happen? They both said very similar things. If you look at the words, they're very similar. They're different, slightly different wording, but similar. Zacharias was chastised for unbelief. Mary was commended for faith. They were saying very similar things, but there was something very different in their hearts. Zacharias says, I can't believe this. Mary was saying, how is this going to happen? Very different, totally different, what they were meaning in their hearts. Mary was just ignorantly unaware of how this was going to happen. Zacharias couldn't believe it could happen. That was the difference, although the words sounded similar. And I think it's a similar case here. It sounds like he's asking for his own revenge, but I don't think so. And the reason why is because Samson was the judge. He was the judge of Israel. And as the judge of Israel, as the official leader of the nation, he was responsible at times for meeting out judgment upon God's enemies. This was the responsibility of the judge. This was a theocracy. This wasn't New Testament. And the, the God's people were involved in physical wars. And, and that was part of his responsibility. And I think maybe that's simply just what he was doing here. Blinding Israel's judge was a dishonor to Israel and a dishonor to God. And this needed to be dealt with. 
You know, God told Moses in Numbers 31, take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. And then he says to them, take vengeance for the Lord. Uh, so that which is done to God's people is seen as that which is done to God. And this was an offense to God. This was an offense against God, which had to be dealt with. And they were ascribing the victory to their God. Well, if you want to get judged by God, do that. <laughs> if you want to get judged in a big hurry by God, do that. And that's what they did. Uh, and so I don't think this was, this was a matter of personal vengeance, even though it may seem like that in what he said. I think this was vengeance of the Lord against the Lord's enemies. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And I think that's why he answered the prayer. But wasn't Samson committing suicide here? There's all kinds of interesting questions in this, in this case. I think that's why there's so much so much of him here. Was he committing suicide? No, I don't believe so. God wanted and Samson also wanted the nation of the Philistines to be judged. And Samson had an opportunity to see that happen and God needed to answer his prayer for that to happen right now in this case. And for whatever reason, God chose to do it this way. In order for that to happen, Samson himself had to die. He was willing to die. Christians are willing to die for their faith, are they not? Are Christians dying around the world tonight for their faith? They are, they're willing to die, they're willing to lay down their lives. Samson was willing to die in the defeat of God's enemies, in seeing God's enemies punished and judged, he was willing to die. And this is, this is what happened. And besides all that, from God's point of view, he knew it was a mercy for Samson for him to die at this point. Samson was humiliated. Samson was blind. His eyes had been gouged out. What kind of life was he going to have in this world? What kind of judge could he have been without his own eyes? And so I think it was God's answer to his prayer was a mercy for Samson. And it was an honor for him. He was able to kill more of the enemies of God in his death than he did in his life. So interesting questions. Just a few lessons before we finish up. First very obvious lesson, it just screams at us off the pages of scripture, God uses very imperfect instruments. Very imperfect instruments. Uh, he, has, he had only one perfect instrument, as we know, his son, and the rest of us are all sinners, sinners saved by grace. Uh, and that means we need to be careful, first about passing judgment on anyone else, as to their fitness for God's service, if God seems to have called them into his ministry, into his service, we need to be careful about that. You don't want to be telling God he made a mistake. <laughs> I don't think he likes that either. Only God can make that determination. That doesn't mean, of course, obviously that it's all right to sin, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't rebuke people who are sinning, yes. But it means, among other things, that we shouldn't put God's servants on pedestals <laughs> and we shouldn't judge between God's servants. Remember, Paul talked to the Corinthians about this. I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I am of Cephas. He said, judge nothing before the time. You know, the Lord will show when the time comes. He'll show who was the best servant and who was not the best servant. Don't you think you know just by judging what somebody does or doesn't do from outside. God will show us at the end. And the same, the same thing here is true. God uses imperfect instruments. Let's acknowledge God's choice. 
I think another lesson is God sometimes is very forbearing with sin in the life of his servants. I say sometimes because God deals differently with different people, very differently. He was clearly extremely, extraordinarily forbearing with Samson. And yet there came a time when Samson crossed that line and God had to deal with him. And he did deal with him very severely. You see, God knows the heart and we don't. It's, it's, it's something that we forget sometimes. We don't know what's in a person's heart. You don't, I don't. We don't even know what's in our own heart sometimes. God may seem to deal extremely patiently with one person, and on the other hand, seem to deal very strictly with another, Moses and Samson. Can you see two more extreme, extreme uh, examples? God is gracious and patient, and he deals with the servants with wisdom. And we don't always understand what wisdom is in every situation like God does. Remember when Peter was told that he was going to die, he was going to glorify God by his death? And the first thought Peter had was, what about John? Is he going to die too? What about him, Lord? What about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You must follow me. In other words, don't worry about what's happening to him. You follow me. You do what I'm telling you to do. We don't know why God deals the way he does. And sometimes it may be difficult for us to understand how we are to deal with individuals. Uh, we have to very much seek God's wisdom in these matters. And remember, we don't know people's hearts and we need to be careful. But remember, God's patience doesn't mean that God is okay with everything that's happening. Some person may be doing wrong and God sees that it's wrong, and he's going to deal with it. Uh, it doesn't mean that just because it's uh, being allowed, God is somehow approving of this. Just because God, I mean, look at the world in which we live. <laughs> is God approving of everything? Obviously not, but he's allowing it to go on for his own purposes. God may postpone any temporal consequences for a person's sins for his own reasons. That doesn't mean that sinning believers will not suffer loss. They will. So we need to be careful in jumping to judgments or conclusions about what is or isn't happening in someone else's life. The control of physical desires is crucial. That's where Samson fell down. He did what was right in his own eyes. He went after what was right in his own eyes. And even after his parents urged him otherwise. This pursuing of physical desires, no matter what, was surely Samson's great weakness and why he fell the way he did. And that's perhaps why he was a, a good representative for the book of Judges. Maybe that's why he's a good lesson for the day in which we live. Is that not what's going on, an epidemic all around us? And don't think it isn't in the church. The great warning here for us is that we never know where physical desires of any kind are going to lead us. Start indulging them now, even in some seemingly minor way, and it may lead to something far worse later on. Two more lessons and we're done. Um, we should part company with those who present a real spiritual danger to us. In this case, of course, for Samson, it was his sexual desire for women, especially ungodly women. It's true that God was using all this in his plan to confront the Philistines, but 
as we said, that doesn't excuse Samson. We're told in the New Testament to particularly flee from three particular sins. We're told to flee idolatry, flee fornication, and flee the love of money. That means we are to flee the situation and or the individuals which present to us a very real and present danger. I had a dear friend, brother in Christ, uh, when we were both young in the faith, and he had the view that it was a great test of faith to be able to be in that position of temptation and to, and to victoriously not sin. And I thought it was best to stay as far away from that situation of temptation or sin. I don't know how his life went. We haven't been in touch, but I, I, he never convinced me that that was the right thing to do, and, I, and I'm sure he was wrong. Samson seemed to do just that, the exact opposite. He kept putting himself in situations of danger, and eventually he got to the point where he couldn't extricate himself. Well, the last thing, the last lesson, very obviously, is that Samson is a picture of Israel, and he can be a picture of any church or any Christian who forgets their responsibility to live for God and not for self. Because that's what Samson's downfall was. He delighted in what was good in his own eyes, and that's what he wanted, and that's what he went after, and that's what he was going to have no matter what. And look at what his judgment was. He lost his two eyes. He did what was right in his own eyes. He went after what his eyes wanted. And his judgment was he lost his two eyes. Undoubtedly, an extremely painful chastisement for him, but it may under God have been part of what led him to repentance in that humiliation that he was in, in that prison, without his eyes, seeing his utter defeat in everything that he wanted to have happen, I believe, at that point of humiliation, he began to repent. And so, as painful as it was, it was necessary. There is a mercy and a justice and a wisdom in all of God's dealings with us. And we see that so much in the life of Samson. We see that God uses very imperfect instruments, that he is sometimes very forbearing with sin in the life of his servants, we see that the control of physical desires is crucial. We should part company with people or situations that present a real spiritual danger to us. And the Samson's a picture of what can happen to anyone who forgets their responsibility to live for God and not for self. Well, may the Lord help all of us to take to heart the lessons from the life of Samson. Let's pray.